Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When too many workers are barely getting by, should they be paying for the union boss to get rich? Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there. Another episode here of Gangland Wire. I'm in the studio. As you can see behind me, we've got our friend from uh, Chicago, Cabulous Cam Robinson. Welcome, Cam. Hey, Gary. Glad to be here as usual. Well, you know, I haven't talked to you for a little bit, but we're, we'll get something going today, won't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Work's been a little, a uh, little bit crazy, but I'm glad to, glad to be back. Glad to be, uh, <laughs> glad to be doing what I like to do. Yeah. Too bad we can't get paid a little bit more for what we do, <laughs> what we like to do. But you know, you never know. We may hit it big one of these days. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, moving right along, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, the different kind. Of, you know, there's a variety of different smaller waiters and bartenders and restaurant workers and hotel workers unions that the mob ended up taking control of it. And I believe uh, you mentioned that in Fear City, I think the documentary that Paul Castellano made some statements on tape about uh, some of those unions. Isn't that right, Cam? Yeah, yeah. There's some really interesting stuff about him not wanting Chicago to interfere in some of the business that was going on in New York. I mean, if you read between the lines, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, interesting. A little... uh, uh, just put up a little YouTube video, a little funny one about the which is better, the Chicago outfit or the New York Five families. <laughs> As always, I get a lot of action off of something like that. <laughs> this guy named Ben Ellickson, my friend from up in Chicago, he made up a really funny little movie on that. Oh, yeah. The, it, just, it was hilarious, I thought. The starch and the fabric softener. Right, right. <laughs> you got to find right. out what God is really talking about with these guys standing out in front of the social club. Find that Chicago Outfit or New York Five Families uh, video on my YouTube channel. Anyhow, moving right along. When you mentioned, uh, you know, about doing this story, and I kind of looked at a little bit about what was going on in Kansas City. There's been a lot going on in Chicago and union-wise. I mean, Chicago is a union town, and Kansas City was, too, in the 50s, a huge union town. And the mob, historically is going to get into those unions, any of those unions they get into and the waiters and bartenders, because mob guys like to get into clubs. is it, like a natural, uh, anywhere they're selling alcohol anywhere there's alcohol, there's gambling and there's, uh, you know, there's women, there's prostitution, there's all kinds of great market things going on and where there's alcohol being sold, sold. And so, you know, the, uh, waiters and bartenders union is, is a natural hotel workers and all that. Uh, you know, in Kansas City, back in the 50s, we had a guy, he had a nightclub, and he also, I think he was a golf pro at, at one of the, uh, uh, out in the suburbs, not out in the county, 
country club. So there was gambling going on out there and he was getting machines. He was getting uh, 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 slot machines and putting them in throughout Jackson County. Jackson County would be like Kansas City just takes up a little part of Jackson County. Jackson mm-hmm. County, a lot of rural area and a lot of clubs and small towns out there that all had clubs in them. And, and so he was putting poker machine, not poker machines back then. It was just slot machines, you know, the old Frank Costello thing, put those right. slot machines throughout uh, in all the joints that you could. And he was putting them out there, but he was not bringing the Kansas City family in on the action. So they warned him a couple of times and he thought he was really well connected. He was real tight with the Jackson County Sheriff. He was, he was actually, they made him a deputy and he had this I want to say it was a 49 like Packard or something. And he had a huge big siren mounted up on the fender of it. And, and he flaunted how he was a Jackson County deputy. You know, he was a deputy and, you know, the, because he was paying off the sheriff and the sheriff gave him, let him do that. Uh, so he was back over in the city after several warnings, he was meeting somebody or doing something in the city. And, and he was easy to spot because of that big Packard and that, right. uh, that siren up on the fender. I don't know if you've ever seen those in old movies. Oh, yeah. Got a big chrome siren up on the <laughs> <Right>. fender. <laughs> big bell, big bell uh, siren. Really? So as he leaves the business, he goes to get in his car. And I'll get to the waiter bartender part of this in just a second. He goes to get in his car and a, a 49 or a 54 brand new car pulled up a guy jumps out and and runs over to him as he slides into the car at at your most vulnerable when you first get mm-hmm. in the car you're kind of vulnerable and starts shooting him and, and kills him right there on the street and the car takes off and leaves and and the police find this brand new 49 or 54 I don't remember which crashed back in an alley, like they must've lost it or something trying to get away. Cause I don't think they intentionally just gave up this car. Uh, and, and when they got to it and they started looking at it, it had secret compartments in it for guns Had two or three secret compartments in it, just like the Chicago hit car. Right. Hit car. Some, some of your guys found uh, up in the Chicago PD found in the, uh, I want to say the seventies, maybe. And I don't remember who was driving it. There was a couple of guys driving it. That was right. Aldericio and, uh, Aldericio and, uh, 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 the Chicago typewriter, Nicoletti. Nicoletti. Yeah. I think weren't, weren't they searching for some of the, uh, some of that Miraglia, Charles Miraglia, the Eminem murders. Right. Right. So anyhow, uh, so they check on this car, of course, and it's registered to the local waiters and bartenders union in Kansas city down on 12th street <laughs> to just like a crow name, but that, place and and that address <laughs> so they go and they check and his brand new car bought in st louis registered in this crow name at the waiters and bartenders union so right. any paperwork would have come there to that day it's pretty slick and, and i'm sure they got another one after that although we never found another one after that so you know that waiters and bartender union i'm sure it goes clear back oh, yeah. when they first started organizing in any manner around the war they probably didn't really get organized till after the war i i don't really remember in the 30s and uh, I, I, I doubt if they were organized back in the thirties, but, uh, anyhow, we go back that far and I know they do in Chicago. So tell us yeah. a little bit about Chicago. Oh, oh, another, another interesting little thing. I got an old file from a guy, a highway patrol file, and they were showing the picture of Paul Rica in that murder. For some reason, I could find no explanation as to why they were showing the picture of Paul Rica, but they were showing the picture of Paul Rica around go figure. Huh. 
So uh, let's start talking about Chicago a little bit. I mean, that's <laughs> they really had a death grip on that. I don't yeah. know about Kansas City and and uh, uh, the mobs control over it here. But what about Chicago? So you know, this the Waiters and Bartenders was founded years ago, and uh, what really got it started was in the beginning they wouldn't accept foreign-born speakers. They wouldn't accept anybody from outside of the country, and you know if. It, it, in the 1890s and in 1910s, that's that just you weren't going to grow if you were not expecting restaurant workers who, who were from out of the country. Yeah. I mean, that was those were the jobs they were taking, especially Italians. So uh, once they decided to do that, it the union blew up. You have 150,000 members. By 1950s, you have 400,000 members. Now, that's a lot of money pouring in. Uh, 1928, there was some conflict and uh, the president of the union, the guy who was running for the president, was murdered at the local convention in New York. Uh, so, that, I mean, that's that's a bad look for any union. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the main things about the Restaurant Workers Union is they allowed international officers to interfere in the local unions. So the international officers could step down and they could get involved in the business of the locals, which is a lot of unions function that the local is a ship on the sea. It is on its own. It's uh, they don't allow local officers to meddle in the businesses. And that would later play a major part in Chicago's ability to direct and involve themselves so deeply in what was going on with uh, uh, other unions and how they could sell positions and vice presidencies to other mobs around the country. So what really blew it up is after prohibition ended, Frank Nitty was looking for ways to make up for that lost money. And he knew that if alcohol was coming back, the bartenders union would be coming back. That was just, and that just makes so much sense to me that that just really shows the way he was thinking. So Chicago had three of these locals. They were local uh, 593 that was run by Ricardo and a guy named John Lardino local uh, 278 under Louis Rodino. That was uh, Romano. That was Frank Nitty and Murray Humphreys local. And the last one, the one that really blew up, was Local 450, and Joey Iupa was the uh, Iupa was the uh, secretary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you don't have to look too far to see where that one was mobbed <laughs> up. Uh, it was it was he ran it, and in 1957, that's when Ed Hanley became the business agent of Local 454, and he became the anointed one uh, for that union and eventually for the entire uh hero uh, the hotel employee and restaurant employees international union hero you yeah, that was i wonder what that stood yeah. for now now did uh, uh they consolidated all the they consolidated unions. all the small unions yeah they basically ate them all up yeah i, I bet iupa's people were all down in cicero because he had clubs in cicero oh, yeah. and he was that was his base uh, you know you think of al capone and cicero but but if you get into more modern times, that Joey Iupa and Cicero were, he ran Cicero. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And, you know, you either join, you either join the national at the end of a pen or at the end of a gun. I mean, and there's plenty of, there's plenty of examples of both. So uh, I think that they, they went through, they, they absorbed all these little locals. There are smaller unions basically. And that just blew up. And like I said, by the 1950s, you got 400,000 members and every new hotel that opened in Las Vegas or that opened up anywhere, you've got another 150, if it's a smaller place to 2000 members, if it's a big casino. Hmm. 
Well, yeah, Las Vegas. And, and of course, Chicago had their hooks into Las Vegas. Yeah. Matter of fact, that uh, that kid, uh, Frankie Bluestein, that those policemen killed out there in the famous scene from Casino where they were following yeah. the guy and he jumps out. And, and and the movie indicates he had a ham sandwich and then the policemen say he had a gun and, and they found a gun. And his father was a, uh, a mover and shaker in that waiters and bartenders union or hotel yeah. employees union. And, and he had a job, of course, uh, uh, in a hotel in being in that union. So, you know, as I, it looks like to me, like maybe Henley, I gave him the job of reaching outside of Chicago and bringing other local unions in because down in Kansas city, what I was able to learn was he, as they merged some small locals here, Henley was the guy. They had to go to yeah. Henley at the International, and he appointed a guy named Michael Salerno as the president of the first, you know, kind of merged overall all union. And, and then what's really interesting after that is see the mob influence guy named Baldoresio or Benny, we used to call him Benny Palmateri. He, he all of a sudden, uh, out of the dust of opening this up by 1975, he is a secretary treasurer. And he he is uh, he's close to Savella. He we used to watch him all the time. I mean, he had this job, but all he did all day, uh, they had a game going downtown and a lot of people would park at meters. It was in the back of something called Reliable Legal Service. And it was a high stakes uh, card game. Uh, and he would go out and plug the meters for people. Whenever they'd start running out of time, he'd run out and, and put put money in the parking meter so that people wouldn't get tickets and then go back in, come back out. So he was always that guy. But he, right. you know, and then he had access to their, their health and welfare, their pension funds and all right. that. That's, dental plan. Uh, dental plans, selling them dental plans. That was, I mean, there's so many scams that a mob can get into with labor union people. I, I'm trying. I always tried to figure out what the what the draw was for union people. How how they these kind of people these checkered past and and you know how what the draw was. How they got so many people to vote for them to initially to get it in. I I think maybe they thought they would give them more power leverage against employers because they these guys would resort to you know off the books kind of stuff. They'd do the vandalism and all that. If, if they want an employer to do something. And I think if you stack the membership with a lot of guys who are willing to make threats, I mean, you've got guys in the, uh, you put, you nominate guys in leadership positions who are other made guys as secretary and, and, and general treasurer and, and, and other made guys in leadership and you hold votes. And I mean, for all, you tell people that, that these are secret election, but everybody knows that they're not. Everybody yeah. knows. You tell people, well, you sign your name to it so we can make sure it's legitimate and that you're a legitimate union member because we don't want any fixed elections. We don't want any dead people voting. So just you got to make sure you put your name, your initials, or you got to show your union card to vote. Uh, it's not hard to see where where these guys out of fear would elect a guy like Provenzano or would elect a guy like, uh, you know, like um, – some of the Chicago Al Palato to be in the, in the laborers union. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, I think that every aspect of it was fixed and they're really just taking advantage of these working guys. But on the flip side of it, they did use their power and they did use their, their influence in local government to, to, to push through some good, uh, 
some some good uh, plans. And they did uh, a lot of the local guys who were in the unions will say that, well, they looked after us. They took care of us. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I got one of, one of the listeners. I did a show on. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Salerno. Vince Salerno was a, a union guy, had a some kind of a laborers union and and I got hold of Ben and, and he told a story. I said, you know, you got to tell me that story and I'll, I'll put it out as kind of a, a supplement to that last show about, you know, he was a laborer in a laborer's union and there was a mob connected guy that was his union rep. And, and he had some problem with the uh, with the healthcare part of it with his family. And, and he went to the guy and the guy jumped on it and straightened it out right away. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you get, you get mixed, uh, mixed accounts. I mean, the government didn't, didn't appreciate their, their uh, presence, but I mean, some of these guys didn't, uh, didn't seem to mind. Yeah, really. So I'd see here, I, I pulled up a little bit of stuff and said, uh, there was a, uh, uh, said, uh, let me take a look at this it's kind of interesting. I think the, we should get into is Ed Hanley was the brother-in-law of Frank Calabrese. So oh yeah, that's right. The, the president's commission, fact. yeah, the president's commission on organized crime stated that here, uh, which that hotel employees, restaurant uh, employees, employees international, yeah. international is one of the foremost corrupt unions in the United United States, and that's under yeah. this Ed Hanley. So, what's tell us a little more about Ed Hanley and his his connection to the outfit so, up there? He, I, I didn't realize that he was blood related or by marriage related. By marriage, yeah, he was no, by really marriage important. related to to Frank Calabrese. He's the uncle of Frank Calabrese uh, Jr. And uh, you know, I've I've had little dealings with them and, and they he said he was a great guy. The Irish side of the family was a lot of fun. But um because of that stipulation that international officers intervened in the locals, uh that required Ed Hanley to be the one to set up uh new locals mm-hmm. or to an, to anoint new presidents in uh in other locals. So when you guy like got a guy like Ralph Natalie in Philadelphia, who would later become sort of the boss with Joey Merlino. He was the, uh, he was the boss of local 54 in uh, Atlantic city before he went to prison. And that would have had to have been set up by a guy like Ed Hanley, who mm-hmm. would have done so at the behest of Chicago. So there you've got a tie between the Philly mob uh, when Angelo Bruno was still alive and the Chicago mob. Uh, Ed Hanley was, uh, would have been responsible for a lot of the expansion in uh in las vegas because he became president in 1973 so you think about the what was going on in las vegas and the casinos in the 70s and he would have been the international president so Mm -hmm. any sort of labor disputes going on with uh new hotel workers and any sort of new unions that had to be set up in in uh either las vegas or after 1978 in atlantic city would have had to have been established through Ed Hanley. And you think what a tremendous amount of power that would have given, not just Hanley, but because he was, his local was 450. That's his home local. That all comes under Joey Iupa. Mm-hmm. Like, so you a put a lot context, of, that, a lot of power inside those casinos too. When you yeah. got one guy you can go to and, and say, you know, what, what about this? What's going on here? What's going on there? A lot of our wiretaps here in Kansas City was Augusto 
reporting to Nick all the different rumors and, and gossip and, and, you know, air all the inside baseball about what was going on at the Stardust. So you yeah. got union people all over the place then, you know, and, and those owners, they can, they can keep some labor peace by hiring certain people and putting them in oh, the yeah. right position. So oh, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's really, it was a powerful, powerful tool for the mob uh, all during Oh yeah, you know, from the '30s to the '80s, I guess. I, I what happened whenever they start changing over the corporate structures and everything? Did it kind of stay the same? Or? I think you know what you've got is you've still got the the people in the unions, so it would be hard. I mean, even with the corporate structure, you've still got the guys in there who would be willing to lay down on them. Just like in in Hollywood, there was the corporations in Hollywood yeah. in the '30s you still got guys who can lay down, who can, who can, that was a way that the, and as much as they say that the corporations clean up Vegas and the corporations could very easily contract workers out. I mean, you have this huge labor force who could still exert a lot of influence and power on what was going on with uh, whomever was running the casinos. You know, I'd read something about this Ed Hanley, how as the, corporations moved into a lot of these uh, instead of, you know, uh, historically restaurants and hotels, even especially restaurants are all little individually owned things. And then, you know, start getting franchises and, and even the hotels in Las Vegas, they were, they were owned by individuals. Just these may, may have investors, but they'd have one strong individual that would run a hotel and you'd only have to deal with that one personality. Now you got a corporate board and, and right. so you got all these different unions in, in say a hotel. So Ed Hanley started merging those different oh, yeah. uh, trades, if you will. I don't know if you'd call it a trade, but you know, and like waiters and bartenders, and then uh, the uh, uh, probably the the casino girls, the uh, uh, show girls, show girls, the uh, you know pit boss. I mean, not the pit bosses; they'd be management, but you know the guys, the blackjack dealers, and all that you would start merging them into one union in order, and it would be wise. It would be good union business to say, you know, if, if you make us mad here, we'll take everybody out because we've got hooks into everybody. We'll take everybody out. There's a, there's an interesting example of that. Um, The, uh, they dissolved the international production services and sales employees union in 1983. That was run by the Lucchese family in New York. Uh, a guy named Robert Rao, who was a Lucchese associate, and trade for that taken over. He was named an international vice president of Hiru, and his salary in 1984 was $143,000. And that was, uh, that was, he had an expense account also. But you can see where those trades come up when they absorb another union that was run by the Lucchese. That would have had to run through. Uh, in order to absorb a union, just like you said, and Hanley would have had to play a role in it. That would have had to have been a deal between Chicago and the Lucchese family in order for this guy to be named an international VP because Chicago controlled it and controlled the leadership board. And Hanley would have had to name him because this is the last, this is the last of the old time union power structures. So Ed Hanley would have had to name this guy or at least approve him or at least the votes would have had to come through his approval to name this guy uh, an international VP. And 
I, I like that kind of thing. You think about this is a direct interaction as late as 1983 between Chicago, even, even though it doesn't say they shook hands and had a deal. You yeah. know that this would have had to have been some sort of dealings between the Lucchese family and the Chicago family. And there's, I've got a couple other examples where, you know, even caught on, on recording with Castellano talking about interactions through this union, this union specifically with Chicago and the other families. Yeah. Oh, interesting that, uh, and, and i tell you what, I talk to a guy every once in a while here locally and, and it's always, I'm always kind of amazed about, this network, this inner city network. Yeah. And a lot of it comes out of the penitentiary too. People go in and out of the yeah. penitentiary. And, and so you learn about, you know, somebody there, then you get out and then they continue to keep up with each other after they get out, because you never know when you need somebody in another city. And they were, they did that a lot all during this time, probably not so much now, but boy, back in the seventies and eighties, nineties, they were, you know, that was a lot of the connections. I mean, if you want something in another city, just ask around your mob buddies and they're going to have somebody that's, you know, they can trust great, you know, more or less in another city. So that's, uh, Oh yeah. And you know, Castellano, he did, he's kind of a, a egomaniac. He did not like having to go to Chicago. A bit. <laughs> no, there was a, there's an example of a, a Colombo guy, uh, Vito, uh, Vito, uh, Pita, and there were two locals in Chicago. One of them was responsible for the, um, for the restaurants and, and clubs and hotels. And the other one was at a larger, uh, let's see, local 60. And that was a Colombo and local 100 was a Gambino. And both of those would have been established with, uh, with Chicago. So Paul Castellano was telling this Colombo associate Vito Pita to stop making trouble. He was, he was trying to poach members outside of what their responsibilities would have been. So they had to sit down and he said, you got to stop doing this because uh, he basically Castellano was responsible to the, he keeps calling it the international. I'm the one that's responsible to the international. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking about the international, he's talking about Chicago. And I mean, and he says, there's quotes of him. He says, uh, I said to Vito, take it easy. You know, I gotta, I gotta watch like someone else owns the international, See, I don't like these doings. Someday they have a right, some things they have a right to do. In the meantime, the only reason they're doing it is because Vito is setting something up in my, I don't do that. I'm happy with the international, you know, (laughs) they were happy about it, meaning Chicago, but Vito wasn't. I tell you what, what brought them over here, Chicago, I'm guessing, is this is my local and I don't want anybody to touch it. So if you read between the lines, There's a Colombo family fighting with a Gambino family at the local level. And you know that Chicago, Ed Hanley has say over the locals. Yeah. Chicago has say over Ed Hanley. I mean, that's just damned interesting. That, that, and <laughs> that you've is. got Castellano talking through the line saying, look, I don't want them over here in my shit. And uh, this little Colombo associate is blowing up my spot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Don't bring on the heat from Chicago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they have a right to do it because it's their local, but man, yeah. I don't want them in my city. Yeah. Really interesting. You know, and, and the terminology used when he said something about they own them, what was that terminology? That's the terminology they yeah. use. It, it, yeah. Uh, if uh, there was someone some, else owns the local. Right. Right. There's owns a the international. 
where uh, he said, uh, you know, are you, who's he owned by, you know? Oh, he, yeah. Chicago owns him. Oh, okay. That's what he said that Chicago. Yeah. He said that Chicago owns him. So, and there was a guy that talked about some guy that was, you know, you know, historically and in, in retrospect, we know now he was, you know, affiliated with the Chicago outfit more than anybody else. He was not even from there particularly, but he was, you know, affiliated with them. So it's kind of like I always wondered who thought who they thought owned Alan uh, Glick in Las Vegas. <laughs> I think it must have been Kansas City because Kansas City is the one that that uh, threatened him. Yeah, Kansas City or uh, you know or uh, Milwaukee would Milwaukee, have dealt with yeah. him a lot. But yeah, somebody somebody would have had their hooks in him. And uh, but Kansas City, you're right. What it was the one that dealt with him directly. They're the one that dealt with him directly. He dealt with. Uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, start by dealing with people in this business. You know, he dealt with Frank Ballester in Milwaukee first, and then when it came time for some kind of information to be passed back down to him, and he actually, I think he. They had a meeting in Chicago about it, and Chicago gave their approval about of all this and being involved with all this, but never really met with him. Then Kansas City, when it comes time to have some kind of straightening out talk with him to come to Jesus meeting, Kansas City gets a job of doing that. So it, it was just kind of interesting uh, how right. that works. Right. Uh, you know, another one they had to dealing with was uh, uh, Philadelphia. It was a guy, Ralph Natale. He tells this story mm -hmm. about um, how Angelo Bruno and Carlo Gambino made him in a private ceremony, uh, which is, you know, a lot of people say Ralph Natale said a lot of things and they said he was the boss. And yeah. he says that with, but what's interesting about his story is he said he met Joe Batters and, you know, he knew to call. He knew to call uh, Accardo Joe Batters, mm -hmm. and Chicago did was responsible for um, making the local and Atlantic City, and they did make that deal with Gambino and with uh, Angelo Bruno. So it's strange that he knew all this. He went to jail in 1979 after he was the president of Local 54, which would have put him in charge of the locals in. Uh, in Atlantic City. So there are aspects of truth about this story that's a little bit fantastical to believe, but there were meetings where Chicago met with Atlantic City and uh, met with Bruno and met with the Gambinos. So we know that that there was a lot of truth to, in the ballpark of what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, but when Atlantic City was set up, Ed Hanley played a role in that, which means Chicago did, even though Chicago was hands off, they had to help set up the locals and, you know, they were 15,000 members when all was said and done in local 54 in, in Philadelphia, which is a huge, huge union. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people in that local, um, you know, that's all the bartenders, all the, every new casino was another 1,500, 2,000. Yeah. So in yeah. Chicago would have had to help them set up, even though their hands off that city, that local would have had to come through uh, through Chicago. Gambino's basically owned the uh, the Bruno family, mm -hmm. so that's another example of New York and Philadelphia dealing with Chicago. Hmm, interesting, I guess a little bit uh, like Hoffa and the Teamsters, and and any local Teamster guy, he pretty well had you know Roy Lee Williams. 
pretty well had to get Hoffman's right. approval for anything they would do down here. He, he right. had a certain amount of leeway, I'm sure, and probably every other city did, whoever their kind of main teamster was. But I bet everything they did had to be approved through Hoffa. You know, that's that's the ideal for the Bob is to have one guy you can go to who can affect thousands and thousands of other people. And, and uh, so that's that's like ideal. You know, talk about economy of uh, of action or movement <laughs> yeah exactly but that's I, I love reading those stories and those examples of of when you know these guys in the, in the 70s and 80s were talking to each other I mean, we know that luciano and, and paul rica and that they all knew each other but when you're getting into the 70s and you're getting into the 80s and these guys were talking and we're dealing with each other i yeah. mean that's that's what really got me into being interested in the mob is how are these cities relating to each other how do they know each other and and the seventies and eighties were the time that, that things were blowing up, and that really that really I find the most interesting. Yeah, and the, and the unions were an integral part of that uh, international or national kind of crime that was going on. They were an integral part of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, that brings in the U.S. Department of Labor. Of course, they were always kind of a paper tiger. Uh, we had one labor investigator that was assigned to the strike force uh, back in the uh, early 70s. Now, by the time the skim trials were over, <laughs> they knew more about the connection of the team, teamsters and the mafia than they ever wanted to know. As a matter of fact, they knew so much, they just totally uh, 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 made everybody resign, put it in receivership and brought it back. Now, they never did that with the waiters and bartenders and or here, I guess, uh, hotel employees that uh, never did it, never broke it up, did they? Uh, you know what? In 1995, there was some, uh, there was a RICO statute brought against the entire union. Oh, was and, it? Um, so the uh, at the same time, Hero and the in the Department of Justice filed a consent decree to free Hero and all its locals from the direct or indirect influence from organized crime now and in the future. So by 1995, they did uh, decide to to try and rid themselves. And they found that the, the organized crime was, was violating the members' Leonard Griffin rights. So 1995 rolls around, which is late, which is really late. Uh, they, mm. they did decide to, to try and step in and help these guys. Um, but they even got into loaning money and everything in the seventies. I mean, they, it was all the regular, Regular right, yeah. rates, but yeah, I mean, Morris Schenker took the largest loan out from the from the uh, hero and, and never paid it back six million dollars. You know, so <laughs> he was I Morris Schenker. I need to need to do a whole in depth look at him, man. That guy, and he blindly just made it right on through too. I just had a little, <laughs> little side story. I played golf with a guy who was originally from St. Louis. His dad had a gas station. Uh, in an area called Forest Park was kind of a blue collar section, uh, not too far from downtown. And, and so his dad was Irish Fitzgerald and he's going to run for city council or whatever alderman or whatever they called it back in the fifties. And uh, he, he, he loses. <laughs> and, and so just uh, uh, bear with me, folks. I'm going to say a couple of words here, but he says, you know, I'm an Irishman and I got beat by a Jew. How you figure that? <laughs> it was more shaker he was running against. <laughs> we know who had the mob behind him. <laughs> yeah, we know who had those precincts wired up. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how strong the mob can be. They can they can help Morris Shaker, a Jewish lawyer, 
win an election in an Irish ward. And it was right. against a guy named Fitzgerald. <laughs> right. Go figure that. You know, I was, I was reading a little more about at the end of Henley's career. Uh, that it, was, it happened in that 1995 and he was getting old by then. Anyhow, uh, they, they caught him setting up a fake local. He had a, a, a retirement, I mean, a retirement, a, a vacation home up in Wisconsin, like all those Chicago guys did. If they if they had money, they probably had a, another house up in Wisconsin to go to. And and he set up a fake local and they had one employee and all that employee was supposed to do was do stuff to take care of things for Henley <laughs> around his house, his vacation home and all that. And uh, I tell you what, he was. Uh... Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, and he did. I, I read this also. Let me take a look at this. Uh, uh, he negotiated an out of court settlement that, yeah. that gave him immunity from prosecution. Yeah. He, he did end up retiring from the union. And uh, but he remained on the board of trustees of their health and welfare pension fund until about the time he died. I think that guy was powerful. Yeah. Well, he had a lot of really powerful political connections. The only thing I can figure. Yeah, that that's uh, that's really all you can say is that he he's a difficult character to figure out because you know that he was steeped in and he knew all these mob guys. And you look yeah. back in the history and and they say that he was this and he was that. But he kept himself out of prison, basically. He kept himself so he was clean enough that that he didn't get in, in trouble. And he sort of was able to protect himself in a lot of ways. So he's a really enigmatic sort of figure. How did he, when you look at a lot of these union guys like yeah. Roy Williams and Hoffa, and, and they all got in all this deep trouble for what looks on paper to be the exact same kind of stuff. I mean, how did Hanley skate? And I mean, I'm sure the Irish politician aspect of it doesn't hurt, but he really did get by with a lot of the stuff that it appears a lot of the other union guys were doing. Uh, and then, of course, in 2000, he had that terrible car crash that uh, that took him out. OK, I didn't remember that. And especially being uh, related to Frank Calabrese, I mean, uh you'd think the government would have been all over him. He was this powerful a union guy. And he's related to a, a really well-known, I wouldn't say powerful, but a, a, a well-known mob guy, outfit guy. That's right. everybody knows his outfit guy. That's all that Calabrese whole family ever did. They were, you know, they were steeped in the outfit. And so here their relative is ahead of this big union, this international or national union. And, and, you know, I would have thought the government, I, I don't know what how he made this deal at the end. I'd be interested to know a little more about what deal he made. It was by it was in the later '90s, so the outfit was kind of you know they were on the downturn. Everybody had gone to prison for the skimming by then. Yeah, yeah, that was you know the outfit all sort of crumbled as you know I've talked to uh, Paul Wickham and he was part of that trial where they brought down uh, Wings uh, Wings Carlisi and uh, uh, Gus Alex. Uh, but really, 
I, I don't want it, uh, uh, Hanley wasn't a part of that, but it, it, it's really an interesting thing that he didn't go down. And, and I don't, I don't know to what extent he was involved with things or he just sort of did what he was told and stayed out of the criminal aspect of it. But it's, it's a real, he's a really interesting guy. Yeah, he is. All right. Well, Cam, this has been most interesting about the, uh, one of the labor union aspects of the, uh, outfit and and the five families in kansas city and and others every other major city cleveland uh, right I, there's they all had uh a waiters and bartenders and and hotel employees and and all ended up in this one union to hear you hear, hear you h-e-r-e-i i guess uh, and uh, uh definitely was was controlled by the mob Right, right. It was uh, it was one of the uh, one of the big four corrupt unions, they say. So it was uh, it was up there. But the laborers, the teamsters, laborers, Hiro. teamsters, uh, the um, Hiro and the uh, the dock workers, dock uh, workers, international longshoremen, yeah, longshoremen. Yeah, yeah. Longshoremen. That goes that goes way back. <laughs> oh yeah, it goes back to the old days. <laughs> down oh, in, yeah, down in uh, uh, New Orleans and, and uh, one of the early mob battles down there. Uh, after the turn of the century was some dock workers that were mob guys uh, coming up all out of work and going back up into the city. And, and this wasn't, a, you know, wasn't out in the Gulf. This was on the uh, Mississippi River and, and a rival mob group, the Matranga group, attacked mm -hmm. them and they had a big shootout down there. So this, this goes way back. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Cam. I appreciate it. Uh, don't forget, folks, look out for motorcycles. And uh, you uh, think you might have any PTSD problems, you better check. And you're a veteran, better check with your uh, VA and find their hotline. Anything you want to plug out there? I'm a... Uh, you know, I've got my uh, I've got my book that will be coming out very shortly. It's been at the uh, uh, it's been at the publisher for a while. I, I wrote with uh, Lisa Swan, who was the uh, ex-wife of Frank Calabrese Jr., uh, married to the mob and other misadventures. Mm -hmm. uh, we turned it in a while ago and the publishing the entire publishing industry has been uh, behind quite a bit since COVID came out. So it is uh, it is a little bit uh, back from where it should be. But uh, that should be coming out very soon, and uh, we're both uh, really excited about that. Really, I look forward to that. You know, I interviewed Frank Calabrese Jr., and he didn't really talk about his wife. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but he he certainly was one interesting guy. He talked about he yeah. talked about his dad was closely connected to this uh, waiters and bartenders or uh, hotel employees and restaurant employees guy. And so he said when he was a kid, he remember they went to Vegas a lot as a family and everything was carte blanche. I mean, right. everything. And I didn't really realize, I thought, well, maybe it was a mob connections, but it was a union connections. You, you would have right, it, right. mob and union connections, but they would really have, uh, have it made in Las Vegas as a family when they went out there. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. Might be an interesting show just to talk to Frank about what he remembers about this Edward Hanley. That might be. Real interesting. Absolutely. Excuse me. Okay, Cam. Thanks a lot. We Absolutely. will do some more. Take care, Gary. All right. See you.